0: Alright, hello and welcome everyone to the Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, alongside me Shelby Kang, and we have a special guest today, do we not?
1: Yes, we do. We have Kristen Howerton with us today. Hey guys.
0: Kristen, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. I I think it's uh, especially appropriate because we were talking about this before we came on air, but you were actually featured in a class, a university class, that Shelby was in yesterday. For what, Shelby?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I was in my integrated marketing communications class at San Diego State, um, and we were on the topic of blogging, and lo and behold, Kristen's blog <laughs> pops up on my lecture notes, um, and my professor was talking about how Kristen is one of the biggest mommy bloggers. and So funny. She's got every all her ducks in a row as far as... Um, you know, her pricing of public speaking and and all the things that come with blogging um, or being a big blogger like you are, Kristen. Um, and yeah, I thought it was just really funny. I raised my hand and I'm like, I'm recording a podcast with this blogger tomorrow.
2: Um,
1: and here we are.
2: <laughs> well, I love that I'm pulling someone that I have on my decks in a row. I'm glad that I'm <laughs> looking like that. <laughs> and,
0: and I guess that, that's kind of like uh, how I would kick this off is so are all your ducks in a row? How did you get started with this, Kristen?
2: Well, I don't know that any bloggers ducks are in a row. It's it's an overwhelming job, you know, and I, I get asked all the time by people, how do I start a blog? I want to do what you do. And I say, um, I don't know if you really want that because it's a lot of work. It's, you know, it is... Um, I think people imagine that I just write blog, uh, write a blog post every day, and that's my job, um, but it is absolutely a business. The blog writing part of it is probably about 20%, and the rest is hustle and business. Um, so I got started um, just by writing a family blog, as many people were doing back in... 2000, you know, um, 2000, actually, I think it was 2007. But um, I had friends who started a blog. I started a blog. I mean, this was before Facebook and before Instagram. And blogging was of social media, you know, it was an early yeah. social media. People weren't doing it as a business. And I never started it as a business. I started it as a way to. Chronicle my day, chat with people in the comment section. Um, I was in the process of adopting, and it was a way to meet other adoptive parents. It was purely social when I started it.
0: So what point did it make this transition between, like, this is this kind of, like, basically, like you said, the early version of a social network, right? Um, To this point where you're like, wow, this is is kind of turning into a business.
2: Yeah. I think um, it was a couple years in when I started realizing – like, wow, I have a lot more followers than my mom, you know, (laughs) and my friends, um, you know, and it started growing and growing and kind of becoming this thing, and I had a couple posts go viral, and then, you know, as you do, you start networking with other people who are growing bigger blogs, and start realizing, like, oh, my, my friend Sarah made money off of a post, like, she worked with a company, and they paid her to talk about them, and that's kind of cool. So then I started doing that, um, but I was very careful in the beginning um, not to work with too many brands, you know, just because I really wanted it to stay organic. Um, but it, but when I reached a certain level um, in terms of traffic, um, I did start working with brands um, and accepting payment for you know a couple posts a month, um, and then eventually it became my full time thing.
0: That's awesome. I, I think that there's probably there's a lot of digital publishers in general, and not just bloggers, that can kind of relate to that story of having something that they were passionate about, and then ultimately it sort of taking a life of its own. Um, what what sort of things like as you've got as you've kind of like developed this over time, and you know you mentioned this kind of transition of it becoming a business. What what types of things like. You mentioned you know twenty percent of your time is writing blogs. Now, what are the business aspects that people probably you know um, don't necessarily see on the outside, or maybe even other publishers maybe have missed in in the kind of like the development process?
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, in order to be paid as a blogger, you have to partner with someone who wants to pay you. No one wants to pay you to write a diary online, right? You you get paid when you um, somehow incorporate. The promotion of another brand,
1: right? You you have world. to add value in some way too. Absolutely,
2: right? Absolutely, and um, and so I think that's what a lot of people probably don't realize is that in addition to you, you still have to keep up writing a journal online because that's that's at the end of the day that's what you're presenting to the public. Um, but on the back end, if you want that journal online journal to make money, um, you have to find ways to partner with brands. Um, in ways that are organic to you and to them, in ways that promote them without dinging your own credibility. And that is incredibly time-consuming. You know, that is answering emails and reaching out and negotiations and contracts and deliverables and fees. And, it. you know, it's not glamorous. It's a lot of work. Not
1: for the faint of heart. No.
2: And I will say this, too. You know, I mean, blogging is a hobby. There is nothing wrong with that. And this is how I kind of – I will – explain it to people is like, a lot of people love running and they might run marathons every year and they may run every day and they love running and that's fine. That doesn't mean they have to be a professional runner. It might be something they do for the passion and the love. Um, For people who want to be a professional blogger, meaning that's the thing that pays their mortgage, it is absolutely a business venture first. It's not writing a blog. It's a business.
0: So you mentioned that you know the idea of you know sponsored content and things like that, and it was you know it's something that uh, I've seen come up uh, quite a bit more here recently. And I I think you know all digital publishers of all shapes and sizes you know they want to know what what is that secret? How how do you work with a brand on sponsored content? Um, so so how did it start with you? Were, were you reaching out to these brands? Were they coming to you? How how did that kind of initially get started?
2: Yeah, I will say that I. Um, I rarely, if ever, reach out to brands. I usually respond to brands reaching out to me. Um, How I got on those lists, I don't know. I don't know what the secret sauce there is, but I probably get two to 300 brand-related emails a day. Wow. Of those, um, probably 90% have no interest in paying (laughs) me anything. They're just hoping that I will you know, read their email and decide to, you know, promote them for free, Um, which sometimes I do, you know, if it's something that is really cool. Most of the time I don't. So um, I will then respond to people and, you know, to these, we call them spray and pray emails, (laughs) you know, these emails that brands will send where they have bought a list from someone of, you know, the top 100 influential mommy bloggers and they BCC us and want us to promote something. And so I will generally then respond to them with my rate sheet. Thank you for reaching out. Um, here are some of the ways that you could be seen on some of my platforms, and here's how much that costs. Um, and that's kind of the beginning of negotiations.
0: And, and how often do do you get responses uh, from brands about that sort of thing? You know, um, obviously this brain idea is like Maybe we can, you know, get lucky in one of these, right. uh, you know, influencers wants to uh, share something about us for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many of them then start working with you directly?
2: Um very low, very, very low. So probably 2%. Wow. I mean, you figure I get two to 300 emails a day and I respond to all of them with my rate sheet. Um, I mean, if all, if, you know, if all of them said yes, or even 50%, I, co- I couldn't even manage it. Most of the you time,
0: could retire. yeah,
2: <laughs> most of the time, these people, you know, the brands sending these emails don't have a budget, have not thought through anything other than maybe we'll get lucky with mm-hmm. this blogger wanting to talk about us. Um, so it's, you know, I would say maybe 10% actually answer back. Um, and of those, you know, probably half of them say, we don't actually have a budget. <laughs> most people, most of them are ignored. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, there, there wasn't, I don't think there was much attention beyond that first email.
0: Yeah, and that, uh, I would imagine that's generally the idea behind some of those campaigns like that. Is the idea of you, yeah. know, you, the spray and pray is probably like the best way of putting it. You know, they're hoping that somebody will do something with them for free. But yeah, you know, Shelby, I know we we had had, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before about some of the things we wanted to get into. Chris was we tried to think of some things that we could kind of get on topic with you that you probably don't normally talk about. I'm sure you mm-hmm. talk about this sort of thing quite a bit. Um, so Shelby, what kind of other things that we have on there? I know sponsored content was a big one.
1: Yeah, uh, well, we were meaning to kind of get into your top uh, five achievements and mistakes over your 10 plus years of blogging. The one that, um, one of your achievements that I found most interesting was shifting to podcasting.
2: Yeah. And
1: so, um, what do you think is the biggest challenge you've faced so far in making that transition from writing content to to podcasting?
2: Well, you know, I think a more global um, challenge in in this industry at all is that you have to constantly be shifting, you know? And as I mentioned in in 2007, when I started blogs were really popular and then people started doing, you know, being on Facebook more than they went to blogs. They weren't clicking through, they were spending their time on Facebook and then everybody went over to Instagram and now everyone's listening to podcasts. So I have had to, as a content creator constantly shift Uh, because if I just, you know, sit there on my blog, you know, rattling the cage that's not where people are spending as much time, although they certainly do, you know. Um, but, you, you know, there's new ways to push people back to your blog. And podcasting is a big one because people are really listening to podcasts. So um, getting that started, you know, it's interesting because I actually really enjoy the process of podcasting, and I do it with, an, with another blogger, um, with Sarah James. Um, it's called Selfie, and it's all about self-care. Um, anything from serums to um, you know faith healers anything you know getting your hair done to um, boundaries with friends but um, I really enjoyed the process that hasn't been challenging but it was just a learning curve for us at the beginning you know learning what equipment do we need and how do we produce this and how do we get ad revenue on this Um, you know and I think that that's what you have to do in any business you have to constantly be Um, educating yourself and learning new skills and new things. I mean, for anyone, for anyone in any business. So I think that was just a part of it. It's like, okay, well, now we have to learn how to podcast.
1: Right, yeah, Yeah. and it's really important. We talk about it a lot in the podcast, about just creating different types of content um, for your audience. But what are your thoughts? You mentioned Instagram before. I mean, Mm -hmm. Tyler and I hear all the time how bloggers are like, blogs are dead and Instagram Mm -hmm. is the place to be. What are your thoughts behind Building content and building a following on social media platforms like Instagram.
2: Well, I think that you know it's really important for content creators to always bear in mind that you don't actually own anything that you post on Instagram or Facebook, and it could be removed at any time. Um, in fact, this is something that happened to me. I had, um, I have, um, an Instagram account. Um, it was initially called Asshole Parents, and it grew really fast. It grew up to 750,000 followers within the course of a year. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, and mm. I'm I'm spending more energy there. I'm spending more time there. It was, you know, a parent humor destination where we talked about, like, the ways that our kids thought we were assholes, you know.
0: <laughs> it's, um, it's actually one of the things that, like, originally, like, uh, how we got connected, I was familiar with that, yeah. I, I guess. That the hashtag more than anything else. Yes, absolutely.
2: It became a big hashtag and went very viral. Um, Lots of fun. And then one day, I went to log in, and the Instagram account was gone. It was just gone. And um, to this day, I'm not really sure why. Um, It had been flagged for bullying, which doesn't make any sense because we never we never bullied anyone. Um, But you know, and it was gone for like six months. And I only got it back because I actually had a friend who had a friend at Facebook. Um, So it's just, it's really important to remember that you can lose that content or another case in point would be, you know, over on Facebook, many of us back in the day converted over to business pages because we were encouraged to do so because Facebook made it seem like, you know, you'll, you'll have all these features. And then a couple years later, Facebook goes, Oh, just kidding. We actually don't want to show any business pages to any followers unless you pay us. So those of us who grew a big platform over on Facebook are being penalized um, because we're being seen as, you know, a brand, even though it's not not exactly the case. Um, So you have to be really careful of putting all your eggs in a basket you don't own, which is why I think blogs remain important. Um, that you are constantly keeping content over on your own blog, um, because that's the only thing you really own.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting too. I, I think I mean I think you really nailed it. And I, one of the things you mentioned earlier is just kind of you know the ideas of you know you're constantly having to move. Like people are people are reading blogs, people are on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're listening to podcasts and, you know, it's responding to the way that, you know, your audience moves, yeah. right, so there's certain audiences and certain spaces that never move, and that's great, yeah. but the truth is, is whenever you have something that's lifestyle-oriented, like that's mm-hmm. generally what we see with bloggers, you know, that is where user behavior is really on the front end where people are shifting because it's popular, so, mm-hmm. you know, you're seeing, you know, the advent of new technology, so you know, really all of these different kind of things that you mentioned, these kind of ways, they really go right alongside cell phone technology. You see the increase of mobile users and then you see the different platforms that are popular uh, on, on top of mobile. And so I think it's really fascinating. But we always talk about on the show, you know, the importance of, you know, owning your audience, you know, build a newsletter, build a blog, find some way that, you know, you can still maintain that direct connection with your audience um what what types of ways have you, you I know you've got you know you've got all kinds of different things going on what what ways do you try to find to to stay connected to your audience the people that you know are your your loyal folks how do you kind of maintain that connection to them Yeah that's a
2: good question Um one of the ways I have found really successful um to to really connect is through private Facebook groups so for example my podcast has a private Facebook group um where we talk about the episodes and then we also just talk about other things. And it's, it's almost like the old school message boards mm-hmm. that used to be really popular where, where they tend to generate around a specific topic. So, you know, our selfie um, podcast, um, we certainly have listeners of every age, but it is a lot of women in their forties, which is what Sarah and I both are. And so that, that, private Facebook group is a lot of conversations around topics relevant to women in their 40s, parenting teens, um, you know, issues with aging, face creams, you know, it's and it's become a little community. And people like it for the resources. But I also think they like it because it is a place where they can actually connect with the people they're listening to on a podcast every week, right? Like Sarah and I are in there. We're commenting, we're engaging. So it feels like a community, but people also like that they have a touch point with, you know, a person that they're listening to. And I mean, I, you know, shudder to use the word influencer to describe myself, but that is a part of it is they're they're in a community with an influencer that they like. Right. Hopefully. I mean, I don't know why, why else they would be listening and coming. <laughs> um But, you know, another example would be um, the Bloomly Facebook group. You know, that is becoming a community of influencers around another topic, which is, you know, blogging and talking about best practice. And um, people are asking questions and giving interesting answers. And, um, you know, I'm able to go in there and pose like, okay, how are you disclosing um, when you're given something but you're not paid for it? And like I got a bunch of great answers. So I think. Um, interestingly enough, these Facebook private groups are a great way for really connecting closer to a smaller
0: group. You meant, so this is something that just kind of interesting to me. I'm 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 curious. You know, you, you said you hate you you dislike to use the word kind of an influencer, which yeah. is kind of like a like it's a bubble term right yeah. now. Um I, I you know, and but I would also think that you would consider yourself bigger than a blogger. So what, what do you consider yourself? So bloggers like yourself yeah. that have grown Beyond kind of this kind of traditional Mm -hmm. idea of blogging, that if you know we in the space we would call you a digital publisher, right? But what do you what do you consider yourself?
2: I would probably call myself a digital publisher. Although I, it's funny. I mean, I would first call myself a writer, Um, and that's not true for every digital publisher, Um, especially you know. I I mean, I started blogging again in 2007 before any of us knew that this would be a job before that before I'd heard of Instagram, right? Um, So I was always a writer first. Now, I think that we do see people who then came along once Instagram was already established, saw other online influencers and decided, I want to be an online influencer, right? I will acknowledge that I am one, but that was never a thing that I set out to be. I feel like it's more I have to be an online influencer in order to make money writing, Mm. if that makes sense, versus deciding like, I just want to be like a famous person on Instagram who posts outfits, right? Like, Which is fine. I mean, people do that and that that serves a purpose. Um, But I would generally describe myself as a writer first. And the online influencer game is a thing that I've got to play um, in order to make money as a writer. Which is a whole other topic, but (laughs) it's very true. If you want to make money writing and make money and, and even sell books, you got to play the social game.
0: Yeah, and that's really interesting. You, you mentioned that, and I think it's one of the things that that comes across. And I think it's it's a trend that we see um, from a lot of uh, folks that started as an independent publisher and have grown into whether it's a digital brand or franchise or whatever it is. Um, but it's that you know you can you can tell whenever you read your stuff from beginning to even now that like that's a core part of it is it's your writing you know you can tell the stuff that you're writing about you're passionate about um and i think that really comes across and it's one of the things that make we always talk about it you know as a publisher your core product really that you're selling is your content right and so having a really good product on that front um, makes a really big difference um what, what tips would you give for somebody that, that is essentially saying, I, I'm a publisher, I'm continuing to try to grow, you know, I, whether they have a content team or they're a writer themselves, how do you write, how do you write content?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the key, first of all, is knowing who your audience is um, and, and who you're writing to and why, you know, um, for myself, and I think that's going to be different for every person, for myself. Um, always from the beginning, I I had an ethos of wanting um, to be imperfect, uh, because I was watching all of these like lifestyle blogs that you know of of moms like, you know, posting these heavily edited dreamy photoscapes of their children, you know, and and crafts and it was really heavy on the crafts when I started. Like you know, I guess apparently we were all just sitting around like helping our children make things out of popsicle bur- sticks, burlap, and popsicle <laughs> sticks, right? <laughs> And I just, none of that felt real to me. Like what felt real to me was like my house was a mess and I maybe didn't shower and my kids thought I was an asshole and, you know, they were constantly throwing temper tantrums and and like when I was around other women, that's what we talked about, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired and my kid got mad at me because I didn't, you know, cut the corners off the bread correctly. (laughs) And so I really wanted to be authentic online. I wanted to present a, an authentic, real picture of motherhood that would make other women go, "Oh my gosh!" I feel less like alone, right? Because I think that's so important. So I knew that at the end of the day, what I, what my message was, was letting ourselves off the hook. Was was acknowledging that this is actually really hard. Um, it was humor. It was. Um, it was like we're all in this together, mm-hmm. and that that was always a thread of anything I wrote. But I think yeah. every writer has to find that angle, that thread, and that audience. And the audience that came was the audience of other moms and um, who who have a sense of humor. I mean, there are some moms that want to read blogs that are inspirational. They want to see pretty pictures because they want their life to look like that, which is fine. I mean, I do that too, um, but that's not what I was. That that wasn't what I was creating, which is okay.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because you know one of the things that comes across uh, in your answer is you know we see it all the way up to the largest digital brands that have been around for centuries like the New York Times all the way down to you know people that are just trying to get started blogging but mm-hmm. you know I think there's a lot of um, folks that really want to make their business grow or or develop their content or build relationships with their audience and so they look at. Other, other people that are maybe at a level above them, yes. whether you're a blogger or even you're somebody that's trying to be a news media entity like the New York Times or something like that. And you're saying, what is it that they're doing? But you miss maybe that that thing that makes you unique. Totally. That, and I, and that's – I mean that's what's interesting is that the, I see where the asshole parent thing comes from with, with all the different things you just discussed where you kind of found out – you found this like perspective where you're like, I think this perspective is missing. And, you know, that's really what differentiated you from a lot of the other stuff that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's fascinating. It's, it's a really interesting story. Um, so what other types of things do we have uh, on the docket?
1: Actually, I kind of wanted to follow up with this question about when you're writing about motherhood and personal things and families, how do you create boundaries to kind of protect your privacy, but at the same time still create authentic and open and honest Content for your audience.
2: Yeah, that is a really difficult question, and um, it's it's an ongoing challenge for me. And it has actually been one of the bigger challenges um, moving forward as my kids have moved from you know younger kids to being teens and tweens. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to write about poop and diapers and stroller mishaps because those are universal, right? Yeah, every kid. Is going to be, a, a, you know, every kid's going to have a temper tantrum. Every kid is going to soil a diaper, you know. Everyone does that. Um, versus when your kids get older, and then you're talking about things that are more personal and more yeah. painful. You know, that maybe you have a kid with an IEP, or maybe you have a kid who is struggling socially, or maybe you know you. And and those are the big issues now of parenting. And they're violating your kid's privacy. So it's been an interesting shift for me as my kids have gotten older. Um, I have not shared as many stories about them. Now, I still talk about parenting, but I try to do it more from my own perspective. And so what I talk about a lot now is, um, you know, how I um, find boundaries between my own struggles Mm -hmm. and stress versus taking on the stress of my kids, right? And I can talk about that in a generic way without sharing intimate details of my kids. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's personal to each person, um, and it's also personal to the kids. You know, my kids don't really—they don't really mind being in photos on my Instagram feed. I think they kind of think it's fun. But I have other friends whose kids are like, no, I don't want to be on there, right? Like, I don't want to be a, um, you know, an ensemble. Cast of your Instagram feed, Um, my kids kind of like it; (laughs) they don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, as long as it's you know flattering, but they don't want they don't want to be mocked. They don't want to be you know. I mean, I remember there was a moment because I hid the the asshole parents. Then my daughter said, "I my friend at school said that you have an Instagram account called asshole parents," and and I sat down and showed them, and I think they were finally old enough. Because the, what's tough is that the um, profile photo is my daughter <laughs> throwing a fit. But she was finally old enough to think it was funny. Sure. She was young in the photo. Yeah. But if she'd seen that photo at age four or five, she would have been really upset. Yeah. Right? But now they're old enough to, like, they can laugh at themselves being weirdos as children, but she certainly wouldn't like a photo of herself today sure. throwing a fit. Which is why asshole parents tends to be, you know, it's more targeted to little kids.
1: Yeah. So we've gone through some of um, your achievements and a couple of different mistakes. I think the last one I kind of want to wrap up the show with was um, one of the mistakes that you listed was working for free. Yeah. Um, and so how should digital publishers kind of navigate doing work for promotion, let's say, or, or brand awareness or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, and then doing work for free? Yeah. I guess at what point do they say hey I'm I'm being taken advantage of I'm I'm writing all this content and I'm not getting much out of it yeah so how do you think digital publishers should navigate that or how do you navigate that yourself
2: I mean I think that there always has to be a quid pro quo and you always have to know what you're getting back in return and exposure is not a currency you know so I think so many people will do um things for free because they think like well this will get me seen um, and it's probably most of the time not true. I mean, unless you've got, you know, a blogger with a million daily followers who wants you to write a guest post that links back to your blog on their blog. You know, most of the time you're writing for exposure. Um, it's not really going to get you a return on the time that you're spending. Um, and, and I did that for a long time. You know, I wrote for a number of different websites um, and not necessarily for free, but for way under value, you know? And I, you know, I don't want to name names, but I mean, they were huge brands, you know? They were, they were huge. Um, some of them were parenting sites. Some of them were TV channels. Some of them were big brands. And I thought like, well, I'll just write for them and it'll get me seen. And it, it didn't. Or if it did, it didn't. it didn't actually convert to traffic back to my own. And so again, it's like, Remembering what it is that you own, you know what you really want to do is be putting content on your own site, not on everyone else's, in the hopes that it'll somehow trickle back to your own, because it probably won't.
0: That's a really interesting perspective, and I think really helpful advice for a lot of digital publishers, because I think you know one of the things we've seen recently is you know I we we were at a recent conference for bloggers, actually, interestingly enough, and uh, or most of the publishers that were were, were bloggers. Um, and there was one that was there and I was having a conversation with them and they'd actually paid to be at the conference. They flew themselves there. They put themselves up in a hotel Mm -hmm. and, um, they were speaking there and they're like, well, you know, the exposure to speak here Mm -hmm. and, I thought, well, it's a great deal for the conference, like we get a, somebody to fill the speaking spot and they're going to still pay to be here. And then I saw, I, I saw during their session, there was maybe 10 people that showed up mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, th- this is a good example of probably what you're talking about as well, where, you know, you write for somebody thinking you're going to get attention back and, and and maybe you don't drive the traffic back to your own stuff, or maybe it doesn't even get seen the way that, you know, it's mm. being, you know, kind of sold to you as totally. this, this way that it is. Yeah. Um, I have one other question just cause it came up in, uh, in, in, the show and I'm just interested in your perspective on it. Cause, um, so we talked about podcasts earlier. So you have mm-hmm. recently started a podcast, you mentioned monetization. We've had a lot of publishers, uh, ask us recently, like, should I start a podcast? I've got a website on golf or, you know, we, we run a brand and, you know, we don't know that podcasts would work for us. Um, what advice would you give for somebody that's thinking about starting a podcast uh, how, how would you grow it, and then how would you monetize it?
2: Yeah, those are great questions. I mean, I think that um, to start a podcast, you really, again, I mean, it, it goes always back to your audience. Like, who are you talking to and what are you giving them? You know, what, what, what do you have of value to offer people? Whether it's you're going to entertain them because you're funny, um, you're going to teach them something, you're going to um, educate them, you're going to inspire them. But there has to be something you're giving the audience. Um, And then you also want to make sure that niche is not super saturated. Like, you know what we don't need more of is podcasts telling you like how to live your best life. (laughs) There are thousands of those, right? Um, But I'm not
0: there yet. I'm not living I know.
2: Well, uh, keep listening. If you keep (laughs) listening to podcasts, (laughs) you'll Um, self-actualize. But, you know, if if you are a niche, like you're going to start a podcast that's for female golfers of color, you know, I mean, you know, then that's out there. Um, So I think you want to know who your audience is. You want a good format. Um, I generally think that one person talking into a microphone is rarely a good format. So you probably either need to have a co-host that you're in conversation with or you need to have guests as you guys do, you know, because one person talking into a mic is just, When I think of all of the popular podcasts, pretty much none of them are that. um, Unless maybe it's a scripted show, Um, and then you really want to honestly listen to a lot of podcasts and start to realize like what's good, you know what what makes a podcast good. It's rarely the equipment, and a lot of people will get hung up on that. The equipment, you know, it's important, but. Um, it's usually the banter. It's usually, um, you know, that they're interesting, that they have interesting guests on, that they know how to um, interview. It's, it's its own skill. Um, and then, in terms of monetization, just like any other business, you're probably not going to make money up front. And I think that's something publishers across the board have to understand. You don't walk into, you know, if you decide to open a shoe store. You're probably going to take out a loan and not make not turn a profit for a year right if you open any kind of business, your profitability that first year might might be nothing or it might even be that you're paying in the first year um, so you know you're investing in your own business by working for free initially probably because nobody's going to pay you for a podcast with 200 listeners at the very beginning so you grow and then and then when you have the credibility and the platform, then you can monetize unless you have the credibility and platform already. Like, for example, you know, when I started my podcast, I already had a pretty big platform of readers. So they kind of naturally came over and I partnered with another person who had a different platform of readers and they came over. And so we monetized right away. Uh, But if you if you don't have that platform already, it might take some time, which is okay, you know, um, and then, when you're ready to monetize, um, there are two ways to go. You can do it yourself, which is that you reach out to different—you um, know, there are kind of um, networks that you know partner podcasters with um, with ad revenue, or you could sign with a podcast network themselves. So you could be you could go under an ad network. Or you could go under a podcasting network, which is a little bit more full service, which is what I've done.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you now, which option did you choose? Yeah,
2: we signed with a a podcast network right from the start. So we're with Life Listened um, because we wanted that infrastructure. um, We wanted that, um, I mean, really just they offer us a level of professionalism that we kind of wanted, you know, they offer us deadlines, and they offered us, you know, editing and help and all that kind of stuff, and they manage all of our apps for us.
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I was really interested uh, just from the standpoint of I know we have a lot of publishers that basically ask us about that sort of thing. And, yeah. Uh, I think the advice of, you know, you kind of have – sometimes you have to start something. And I yes. think if you're a publisher and you feel like you know your audience – you know, have a little bit of confidence maybe in, you know, your your kind of ability to engage that audience and, and understand that maybe it's a different format. And, you know, I, I think you probably agree with me on this. Um, I've spent hours and hours on the air uh, on different podcasts, and then also I do... Uh, television broadcast for for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and it's one of those things where the more you have a chance to talk Mm -hmm. and and interact in those environments the better you get at it totally and so it's one of those things too maybe while you're building it you're getting better at it too absolutely
2: and you know maybe you're being a guest on other people's podcast and um, yeah I, I completely agree it's a skill that you have to hone in on for sure
0: awesome Shelby is that it
1: that's all I've got
0: Awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks uh, for having me. It's been really enlightening. It's been actually uh, – a lot of times I tell Shelby I don't want to know what we're going to talk about because it makes it kind of more organic and more fun. But this has been really fascinating because I've got to ask you a bunch of questions that I've always been curious <laughs> about but uh, never really had a chance to ask. So Yeah.
1: Hopefully we'll have you on again pretty soon I love too. To.
2: Absolutely.
0: So I think that's it. So if you are listening to this now, um, we would love it if you would go on iTunes. Uh, leave a review; those things are awesome. And then, if you have questions for us, you can get at us at, at @azoic on Twitter. Uh, Shelby will curate that. And any questions you have for us, um, shoot them our way. And then, maybe if you have questions for Kristen, we can uh, we can get her on again here sometime soon, and then we can. Uh, approach some of our audience questions with you.
2: Sounds fun. Where can
0: we actually
1: find you on social media, Kristen? Yeah,
2: I am on um, social media on Instagram. My personal account is at Kristen Howerton. Um, My um, asshole parents account is now at Raging It's the Minivan. Um, And then on Twitter and Pinterest and Facebook, I'm at Kristen Howerton.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you to everyone that's uh, continued to be a loyal listener. We love seeing the growth of the podcast over the last couple of episodes. And so, uh, again, if you have questions, get at us at Adazoic on Twitter. And I think that's it. We'll see you next time on The Publisher Lab.